All right. Hello. <laughs> I already forgot how I did it. <laughs> okay. B-roll. Um, I know. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and today's guest is my original work wife, bestie, and former classmate, Cameron Villavicencio. So Cameron is a different kind of triple threat. She's an actor, writer, and producer. She's also proudly pigeon-toed. Cameron graduated from Penn State in 2018 and moved to Chicago on a whim before ending up with the love of her life in New York City. Currently, she tries to find the balance between working at a hectic Upper East Side Italian restaurant and pursuing her dreams of being a creator in the theater and film world. She's passionate about Pilates, bagels, and taking the ego out of acting, and everything for that matter. Also, I was sad when I read your bio and it said, like, the Upper East Side restaurant because... That literally changed within a week so of you writing quick. that bio. I know. It's crazy how stuff just happens, but you just have to like roll with it. So now she's at a female-owned brewery in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> if I could have gotten any more like basic girl who moves to fucking Brooklyn. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. So this is where I should also probably share. Um, Cameron and I co-founded and co-produced a student-run theater company in college called Wonderlust Theater Company and have continued to grow in artistic endeavors together ever since. And drum roll, please. She's my roommate. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. I was like, when is she going to mention that we live together? Yeah, well. So weird. I know. Well, you started talking about Brooklyn and I was like, oh, I don't want her to get ahead of me. Like, <laughs> this is. <laughs> yes, we are roommates. So um, even though you are forced to share the living room with me, I am very glad that you're here today to chat. I'm really excited to talk about your experiences with all things acting, writing, identity, and relationships. Yeah. So let's get into it. I'm so excited to be here finally. You've done such an amazing job cultivating your guests and your topics. So I'm honored to be. I'm excited. I mean, I always knew that um, I wanted us to do an episode together because I feel like so much of my journey has paralleled yours. Like we've gone through a lot of the same experiences. So um, I've wanted to talk about it for a while, but um, we finally get the chance. First, let me say, I was trying to think back to some like undergrad memories to share, you know, with like our, the beginning of our friendship kind of thing. And literally the only thing I could think of was the first time I met you. And I know I've told you this story so many times. She's shaking her head now. But the first time I met Cameron, um, we were just freshmen in the Penn State theater program standing around. There was like 12 of us. And I remember looking around thinking about who I would be friends with. And I chose, I saw Cameron, she was wearing a tie-dye t-shirt and basketball shorts. And I was like, that's the one. <laughs> that's the chick I'm going to be tight with. Because you just seemed so chill. And, and it's funny because little did I, know. I would look at Fiona and I was like, who's this popular girl she's so pretty she's so cool she was like a cheerleader and now she's and then you went into like how you were a swimmer and hadn't done a show before and I was like oh I'm definitely gonna be friends with her yeah it's 100% (laughs) who I want to be friends with like it's so funny because I feel like the evolution of our friendship really has like this natural progression and it sort of felt slow and now it's like 
But I don't think if you would have asked yeah. me freshman year of college, well, yeah, because like, would I, I be living with this girl and she be right? My best I friend. say that with like a grain of salt. Like we didn't really become closer until Wonderlust, and then even closer until studying abroad. So mm-hmm. yeah, slow. But I, that I just that memory is so vivid in my mind. I can't. I can't tell you what I was wearing, but I knew, I know what you were wearing. I know exactly what I was wearing. <laughs> it just I wore so, crazy stuff freshman year. It's so I know. funny. The, oh my the Burks. Oh my gosh, the Burks. I yeah. had like all my Nike athletic shorts from Dick Sporting Goods. And I would just pair them with different t-shirts. Oh my God. Oh, look. Anyway, so with that being prefaced, um, without also deep diving too much, I really want to kick it off with just you sharing a bit about your journey since graduating, because I know I mentioned a bit of it in your bio, but like if you could add a few more details to it, that'd be great. Yeah. So I graduated from college and I had, I was in a really dark place. Uh, I was never, you know, formally diagnosed with depression. Uh, or anxiety, and I haven't taken any medication for it, but that's where I felt like I was at. I felt like I also had a lot of trauma that I hadn't yet worked through that got triggered. And then I was also graduating from so college. So this was like senior year. Senior year, right. yeah. It really like, I distinctly remember like the beginning of the second half of our senior year, just like falling down a dark hole. And then I was dating my now ex-boyfriend but who's also one of my best friends and he was like I'm going to Chicago and so part of me was just like I had always planned on going to New York like I didn't even plan on going to college I wanted to go straight into acting and my parents were like no we will support you through college but please go to college um but then I ended up with like do I go to Chicago do I go to New York and I would ask everyone I met just like looking for the answer in other people even though Mm -hmm. I knew where I belonged um and so yeah I moved to Chicago I made the decision and for probably like nine out of the 12 months I hated it so then what do you think made you kind of I don't know like work against your gut I've told you we went to see Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again no. in theaters. And <laughs> wait, I'm what? telling you, when we went, when we were visiting New York that summer. No. Okay, wait. And I literally watched I have no Mama... idea what you're about to say. Oh, no, I saw, we were, uh, we paid like $22 yes. to see Mamma Mia 2 in theaters. Yes, in Times Square. And just watching Lily James as a younger Donna. And she just moved to like Greece, despite uh-huh. what her friends said. There was something in me where I was like, Chicago's going to be my Greece. Oh yeah. No, so that, I don't remember that. I don't yeah. It was that. like, yeah, that was, I was like, this is, God, this Mama is Mia a good idea. Really defined a lot Mama of your Mia life. Really defined. Um, for context, Cameron also shared with me the other day that the first Mamma Mia is what really wanted her to, really propelled her to want to be an actor. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great movie. The original the franchise the is really, there. really impactful. Yeah. And then I did that. And now I can say, looking back that it's the best decision I could have ever made. I made so many friendships. I met so many amazing people. I also got to act, yeah. which was really cool. I, my first audition that I went on, I, 
booked a callback and then I booked a role and it was a paid role and that was really cool like nothing crazy but it was still just like oh and then I did something else a couple months after that and so I did get to do some acting which was fun Mm -hmm. but I also just like wasn't your grease (laughs) yeah I I just like doing things that people don't think I'm actually going to do like if someone tells me like oh you're not actually going to do that I'm just so stubborn and headstrong that I'm like oh watch me and I also just move to Chicago guess what I'm going to pack up everything and leave. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I just kind of... Well, I also knew, like, I love New York so much. And I was like, I'm going to go there. And I feel like I'm going to spend a significant amount of time there. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let me get this out of the way. You know? So, like, throughout this choice as well, do you... Did that solve or, like, did that help you work through some of that, like anxiety and depression that you mentioned before or was this still like ever present through the whole process it was no it was probably still ever present through like I said like nine of the 12 months also because I suffer definitely from seasonal depression and basically as soon as I moved to Chicago it felt like it was winter and then winter didn't stop until like June um because it was like a very cold winter there that I moved there um but yeah, I definitely, it was my first lesson in like, oh, I'm going to make a choice and this is an adult choice and my parents aren't going to help me out of it, even though they're, you know, massively supportive. I'm wildly thankful for them, but it's yeah. not like, hey, say you choose the wrong college then it's like, okay, well, like then you like choose a different one or mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. It was my first choice of like, no, you're going to make this choice. And immediately I was like, why did I come here? I was like, what am I going to do? Like I share a one bedroom apartment with my boyfriend. Like, I'm not just going to leave him hanging. I can't just pay two rents. Am I going to go right. move back home to Pennsylvania? And so I really just had to sit with it and sit with my decision. But it also helped me realize that life is just about making a choice, making a decision and living with the consequences like yeah. good or bad. And sometimes you won't or see just the like fruitfulness. how it goes. Yeah. For sure. And then the quarantine, the pandemic just emphasized that even more. Right. So so you left Chicago and came to New York. Yes. And you were in New York for about six months before the pandemic hit. Yes. Um, I was so happy to finally be in New York. Though I will say, finally moving to New York, mm-hmm. I realized how important time management is. It was hard. And then the pandemic hit sort of forced me to live in the moment and really rethink what I want in my life, which also made me realize that I don't want to be living a life where I'm constantly working to get to something that's supposed to bring me all the happiness in the world. So like, I don't want to be working my butt off, not happy with myself until I get my dream acting role that's supposed to bring me solve all your problems exactly yeah. it's like that whoever said how you spend your days is how you spend your life mm-hmm. and so the pandemic made me realize that i want to be content most days yeah. whatever i'm doing even if it's simple things it feels like a very simple ask but it's not 
No. So what did you do to kind of achieve that? Or do you feel like you've achieved that? Like, do you feel content most days? Yeah, I do. I do now for sure. Um, But I've also recently had to make a switch and really focus in my time management and be like, I'm going to work four shifts a week Mm -hmm. doing a job that's going to pay my bills. But when I'm not there, I still need to wake up at like 8 Mm a.m. I want to meditate. I want to do Pilates, which has become really important to me over the pandemic. I want to make a nice healthy breakfast and then I want to read or I want to write or I want to look for acting jobs and just really being diligent about that because who else is going to do it? Like, no, no, I, <laughs> it's not important to anyone this, else. I know. I was having this conversation yesterday of, you know, the, the pandemic and even beforehand, because I have never been in a traditional, like nine to five for more than three months, even mm-hmm. like temping wise, um, or just like a traditional job in general. And I feel like, especially during the pandemic, I've kind of been forced into just being my own boss and like, learning I feel like I had time management skills beforehand but now I really have to like practice them and like get really good at it because and I think you do a really good job and that's part of why I love living with you because it's inspiring because you've got your little office set up in your room and you've got your monitor and your laptop and I just see you you know you wake up and you go to work and you keep doing productive things for yourself Right. until the evening and then you you know but take a that's step like, back and chill. yeah but I mean it's not like it's not like that just came naturally right away especially with the pandemic it's you, you feel more inclined to be productive in those ways when you feel like purposeful you know when you feel like you know what your purpose is and you are excited about things or you're excited about concepts like I have a list of like concepts that excite me or projects that excite me that just it keeps you doing shit you know for sure but when you don't have that it's very easy to just like stay in bed you know yeah which I know that you experienced in the especially beginning of the pandemic too okay so coming back to the acting conversation how has New York lived up to your expectations like pandemic aside I know you're only here for six months but like auditioning and and doing the thing well you know and most people know that I I love New York City, and that being said, I don't want to romanticize it because I know that you see it a lot on TikTok. Like, Mm -hmm. there's the gentrified parts of New York City and that brunch lifestyle and going vintage shopping all the time, and then there's people where they're just, you know, they're in New York City or they were born here, Mm -hmm. and because of the way our country works, there's not always room for mobility, And they don't, they live a very different lifestyle, but I do love New York. I was born uh, just north of the city and lived here until I was five. And then I would just come back and visit just because all of my dad's side of the family lives in Yonkers. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad always has worked in and out of the city. And it's just, it's my soulmate. I I love her so much. (laughs) So for me, that being, all that being said, Location is super important to me. Mm-hmm. I would be here even if I didn't want to be an actor. Okay. Like, I would just live so here regardless. So, did you ever feel like... Okay, going into school, I know that you were way more inclined for film and were kind of... 
you were kind of under oh the assumption God. that like crazy that's what everyone was doing literally but I was like did you what do you mean you guys don't want to like act in movies they're like who are you <laughs> so did you ever feel like a pull to LA or no um I'm a horrific driver oh right I'm a right. horrific driver but no I did check uh check out UCLA and USC and I thought about but even like after going school. there again I'm a horrible driver <laughs> like, you, know what I, you know what I figured I'm out so bad someone told me that LA doesn't have um subway system because of the earthquakes oh I never thought of that that's and also scary also, I'm terrified of natural disasters <laughs> well, they, and they also said that the reason that New York doesn't isn't as like um congested as LA in that way is because half of the population is always underground which really creeped me out and like made me feel like a rat person mm-hmm. but like isn't that crazy I've that's never wild. thought about that well, you just gave me another reason why I, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to move to LA unless I have to. Um, no, I just, I've always been told that New York City, it's a lot easier to have a community, especially in acting or mm-hmm. writing, theater, what have you, because everyone's just forced to be close geographically and it gets mm. a little more challenging. I also don't have as many connections in los angeles and i'm sure that i could like make them but i also just fell in love with theater i'm i i I was gonna ask now it's absurd yeah no i was gonna ask if you still feel more inclined for film or if you like your soft spot for theater has developed strongly i do think that there's something so magical about film and movies and so i definitely want to still pursue that but I also just I love theater I love them both I just I say this all the time I just want to make cool shit with awesome people ethical art I want to make ethical art truly like I don't we just watched Alan versus Pharaoh the four-part documentary on HBO Max and I'm like if you told me you could have a starring role in this film by Woody Allen I would genuinely say no I'd be like I will keep my restaurant job I will not if they and if they said like you will never either you act in this movie you're never gonna act again Mm -hmm. I would say I'm then I'm not gonna act again I think we all have to hold ourselves to higher standards when it comes to ethics I think that Hollywood itself is still super corrupt and I might not be able to change that or make any big change at the moment Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that I want to play into that system and I think that if we all stop playing into that system sort of like how I read that Olivia Wilde has a no assholes policy on set Mm -hmm. Which is awesome, you know? She decided, you know, I'm the director. This is my film. You're not going to have an ego. I wanted to ask you about this because you wrote down this phrase, taking the ego out of acting. So, like, what does that mean to you specifically? Well, we've talked about it before, you and Mm -hmm. I, about how you realized when you started looking into other industries, like, be it copywriting and whatnot, that so much, so many more people were... willing to offer help it it was 
actually crazy. I would, um, well, it's still happening. I, I attend these virtual events or I reach out to people for phone calls just to learn about their jobs or their background um, for my own you know, career pursuit. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me. It really it really struck me at first how much people actually wanted to help me or wanted to share their information. In the theater industry, in the film industry, no one wants to share their resources. No one wants to tell you what you should, like how, how to go about it or how they went about it because it's that competitive and and not even that these other things aren't, but I think there's something inherent even in school where actors are like turned against each other and like well I don't know what you have is a few people at top who have the quote-unquote power they have the knowledge they have the Mm -hmm. secret to success and then you have a bunch of people who are super vulnerable and want to know that and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times people at the top exploit it exploit it Um, and they take advantage of that and they have like, I've been in plenty of acting classes with, you know, teachers who have that sort of like, you know, that edge. And I just, I, I want collaboration. I want, you know, like not a good edge, like a kind of like just again, an ego and it just feels unnecessary. Like I have mastered this art yeah, and you will learn from me and me only. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of, hey, I have something that, that works for you me. can learn from. Yeah. And you have something I can learn from. And that's not, obviously, if you're a director, if you're a teacher, if you're the head of a program, what be it, you do have to have some sense of authority because mm-hmm. or else you might just be taking in too many different opinions. Right. You still have to have some order but I think true leadership is being able to say, oh, I was wrong here. I apologize. Or, oh, I actually don't know that. Can you explain more of that? But when you have ego, you have the idea that I alone have the key to success and you must follow that. And it's just, I don't know, even when I'm I, I just finished a new version of my play. Mm-hmm. Ideally, what I would love to have is a table reading with trusted actors, creatives, mm-hmm. and I'd love to go through the play. And I really want to hear their opinions. Like, obviously, at the end of the day, it's my show. I will choose how it's done. But I think some people just don't even want to invite people into the conversation they just want to be like this is my work but I want to hear all the opinions and I want to hear from trusted people and if people are giving you your opinion or their opinion with good intention and with love right then I think that it should be heard yeah I mean it's all just like respect kind of thing Mm -hmm. um it's just so weird that ego is even a thing for acting in general because there's a part of acting that should be inherently selfless and giving yeah I don't I just don't know how that would serve if I'm like doing a monologue and then some and then there's ways for me to make it better and and ways for me to dig deeper that someone is like then helping me do 
in a respectful collaborative sense Mm -hmm. my ego about my own performance isn't gonna help me get better you know or help me grow yeah or for example I think a lot of times what we're taught in acting school is you should be so thankful you're here you should be so thankful for every opportunity Mm -hmm. you cannot question anything like if I'm the instructor you cannot question this I'm gonna tell you that this is right I'm gonna tell you that this is wrong and it is insubordination if you tell me otherwise and I don't think that's always healthy. Well, that's part of why I was so struck when I, you know, started branching out and realizing that, oh, (laughs) this isn't how it is in like every industry. It was Mm -hmm. kind of of wild to me. Um, But on that, in that kind of vein, what do you think you were told in college about the industry that hasn't served you? I think we're just fed to believe that you must care about this and only this and only work towards this thing Mm -hmm. or or you don't love it enough yeah or you don't (laughs) love it enough or it's not in the cards for you and it's just ridiculous and it's not it's not all talent it's like they say it's a bit of talent it's about of it's a bit of luck it's about being in the right place Mm -hmm. it's about who you know and that's so true there are plenty of people there are plenty of people in let's just say Hollywood where it doesn't mean that they're necessarily like the most talented Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they work the hardest they have nepotism they're in the right place at the right time they had luck it's it's so many other things and so I think sometimes we're just told that it's about how hard you work or how much talent you possess Mm -hmm. natural or learned or otherwise um, and I just don't think that that well, also, serves like, anyone. Other life experiences are just going to inform your art anyway. So yeah. why not? Also with get acting to know yourself in other ways. Cr- the creative arts, there's no time limit for it. Or yeah. To be clear, society unless you're and like the a industry. Dancer. That's fair, but I think society and the industry. Like for me, growing up, I always like I always wanted to be an actor, and then I felt kept feeling like oh I'm gonna miss my time especially yeah. as someone How who's long not can a man. I look like a high schooler for <laughs> literally I was like you know I'm on my backstage account and I'm like do I I don't look like I'm 16 anymore and I'm like do I even look like I'm 18 I'm like oh my gosh I'm never gonna be cast in anything especially because if you're something other than a white cis man it kind of just feels like once you age out of college the roles aren't really there for you anymore. And obviously that's changing, but I'm talking about especially growing up. And now I look back and genuinely I'm like, thank God I wasn't in the spotlight any younger. I would have been an idiot. But yeah. And that's also changing because there are other people like you who are writing these shows. So to talk a little bit about your writing, like I've always thought of you as an equal parts like actor and writer, but... I never, like, when I was thinking about preparing for this episode, I was like, I don't know that I know when you started writing or if that's just something that happened because Cameron wrote plays all through college that we would produce with Wonderlust and has obviously since continued writing, but I just never knew the origin of that. Yeah, 
well, I've always been writing ever since I was a kid. Initially, my dream when I was really young is I wanted to be the lead singer of a rock band, like kind of Avril Lavigne vibes. And I would write my own songs. They oh, were horrible. Oh my God. They're horrible. Um, but that's sort of where my writing start started. So when I started actually writing plays or screenplays my mom really wasn't that shocked she was like oh this makes sense like you were always like playing with like your toys and creating these elaborate stories and whatnot and I was like oh cool but it didn't really start until I took a creative writing class in high school probably the only good thing to come out of my public education but (laughs) I had a really amazing teacher and she did two different creative writing classes and I took them both and first I would write like nonfiction style essays and then dabbled in poetry and then I started writing a screenplay based on F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald his partner and then I wrote what would now be considered a spec like when you write a TV show like episode of a mm-hmm. TV show that already exists but there was this really nasty girl in my class who called it disgusting fan fiction she oh. was like why would you even bring this but what TV show <laughs> it was for Shameless which was oh, like my okay. favorite show at the time you watched that in high school behind my parents back yes oh I did sorry gosh. mom <laughs> um, yes um, and so but that's honestly where it started and I kept writing what I considered screenplays and initially, I really liked writing screenplays. Why do you say what you consider screenplays? Like, that's true. They they were they were screenplays. Um, <laughs> and that's actually what I submitted uh, when I uh, applied to Penn State's theater program. Was a little piece of something that I wrote, and it was funny because Susan Russell, who was one of our professors, who was at my audition, was like, "Who do you read? Like, what what playwrights do you read?" And I was like. I watch TV. (laughs) They're like, you should read plays. Um, And so I started reading plays. I've read a lot of plays at this point, and I love reading plays. I've read plays, like new works at a playwriting conference I attended two years in a row. I've read plays from high school students. I've volunteered as a reader for Pegasus Theater in Chicago and read different works and I realize that there's such a beauty in theater and writing plays. It's like, it's a different format Mm. completely in a lot of ways. But once you realize that there are no rules and you make the rule, like, no, there are just no rules, like in writing, Mm -hmm. in acting, in life. Once you realize that you set your own rules, you're just free of societal bounds and norms and different things and you can just do what you want so with that being said um you shared a piece with me that you wrote at one of those conferences yes uh which you wrote in like 2017 yeah which is like so bizarre that I hadn't read it until like last week yeah (laughs) um but if you would be so inclined to read a bit of that. I think um, that would be a cool way to share some of your work and kind of have a conversation about identity, which uh, we had talked about discussing too. Yeah. All right. Well, 
I'll just pick up sort of at the end. This piece is called Assimilate, and I wrote it for Ohio Playwrights Conference 2017 intern program. Where are you from? No, I don't mean state. I mean like your entire family tree. Like what the exact coordinates of where your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents were born. Because I really can't tell. You're just so white and ambiguous. You could be from Germany or maybe England or Russia or half of Europe. Italian? No way. You're way too pale to be Italian. Italians have dark features and look like Bobby Cannavale. Do you speak Italian? Then you're not really Italian. I could see you playing the lead role in pretty much anything. Me? I'm Cameron Devan Villavicencio, daughter of Julio Alejandro Villavicencio, an immigrant from Guayaquil, Ecuador, raised in the Bronx, New York, and Christine Ruth Devan, a redhead of Scotch-Irish Slovak descent, born in Baltimore, raised in Pennsylvania. I am all of those things nothing less, and so much more. So yeah, that was just a very small piece. No, I I loved it the first time um, I read it because I thought, you know, other parts of it too also spoke to um, what it must be like for you auditioning and the different stereotypical box that you're expected to fit in based on, you know... (sighs) binary character arc or or description um and so I wanted to hear more about that experience and your journey with identity in and outside of acting yeah um yeah sort of the beginning of that piece was mocking some of just the insensitive comments I get towards ethnicity whether I'm in an audition room or whether I'm just interacting with someone. As I mentioned, my dad is from Ecuador. My mom is very pale native of Pennsylvania. And so, yeah, it's been, my identity has been a struggle throughout my life, not throughout my life, in the later stages of life. And but definitely when it pertains to acting. I was going to say, do you feel like your awareness of it increased because of acting? I think because of acting, but I also think because of just like a shift in society. There's a, yeah, there's yeah. also a polarizing political climate going on in our yeah, I don't, adulthood. I, I don't yeah, know for sure. I, I just think that we started talking about, at least more publicly race and identity and ethnicity and when I was really younger so sort of how it starts is that you know I apologize you're fine uh my dad is like brown like very prominent like native South American features my mom is very white and so when I was with my mom growing up people would think I was adopted Mm -hmm. people would be like are you a foster kid and that kind of like kind of left a sting on me. I would mm-hmm. go to my mom and be like, "Are you actually my mom?" She was like, "Yes, I was in labor with you for like 48 hours, like I'm your mother." And then when I was with my dad, people would be like, "You look exactly like him. Like you're like the identical twin of your father." 
which was low-key rude because his nose is like twice the size of mine. Oh my God. But, um, but yeah. And so I got that consistently growing up. And so when you're just constantly told that, it's not like I identified as brown, but people would say that I was nothing like my mom and I was everything like my dad. And so I was like, I'm Hispanic, Mm -hmm. you know, like I would definitely feel like a gringuito when I like went to visit my dad's side of the family. Um, but I felt like, okay, I'm Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And then probably in like late high school and definitely like going to college, I started having to address it more. So I guess that is part of the acting conversation too. Like I would go be in front of different acting professionals and I would always get like, you're so ethnically ambiguous, which at this point is a term they, that I really think we should just they throw out love completely. that phrase. I've they been hearing that it. phrase since I was 12 and yeah. obviously not about me, but like in the industry. For sure. And I would get it all the time. And I think what was really toxic is that people like, especially casting people would want to be like, okay, well like you look ethnically ambiguous, which means that like, you could play this or you could play this or you could play this. But in reality, it's like, and it took me a while to realize that, but I'm like, I shouldn't be playing Indian. I shouldn't be playing Persian. I shouldn't be playing Middle Eastern. Like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be. It doesn't matter if, like, maybe I look like someone who is of that background. It's not my lived experience. And, like, that's not cool. Um, and then I definitely started getting, like, a bit of the, like, fetishization I was gonna I can never ask say that. that too but the yeah. word also escapes me frequently yeah fetish. and there's this idea of um if you're a Latina woman then that means that you have long brown hair and you wear gold hoops and you have beautiful tan skin and sometimes I can fall into that category mm-hmm. you know but the problem with that is that it erases indigenous people it erases black latinx people i don't even know if i should use the term latinx anymore but it just it's just harmful it's a you know stereotype. because latin like being latin is not a race it's an ethnicity you can be black you can be white you can be brown you can be asian you can be anything have any religion and but that's also something that i had to come to deal with but that was still a lot of like the roles that I would see and I felt torn because for I don't I don't want to go out for a role that's just listed as like white I mean I am white but what they're like it's gonna look odd if they throw me in a tv show and I have like two blonde parents you Mm -hmm. know like if that's their version of like what white means you know right but then their version of Hispanic could be like something that's very stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And I also might not fall into that category. So like, and what do so you do? I just, <laughs> you're that's like, part I'm of, trying to figure it that's out. That's part of how I started writing. Cause like, how do you, how do you feel also about like playing characters that are, or, or only being able to play characters that are to a T your lived experience? Like, I know you don't want to, play Pocahontas because that would be wrong but you know how how many of those boxes should be checked for you to be able to play someone 
I mean, that's something that I'm still working out. But what I realized when I was in the show in Chicago, I was initially so excited because the casting uh, call called for someone who is half Hispanic, half white, didn't really speak Spanish. And I was Mm. like, holy crap, like this is perfect. But then the character was half Mexican and Mm. I'm not half Mexican. And I know that some people are going to be like, that's crazy. You're being like so nitpicky. But when we're in a culture that tries to throw everyone together, like Argentina is not the same as Mexico. Mm -hmm. Ecuador is not the same as Mexico. Maybe there are some shared things, but when we try and just like group it all together, again, it's just erasing the the nuances that exist and those nuances are important. And so I had someone from my job come and see the show who was Mexican and I kind of felt like this feels appropriative Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds so weird but it felt appropriative because what did they say did they say anything no he you know he didn't say anything but it's part of it's just how I felt I was like this doesn't really feel right and this is like this is completely different than like me playing like a Scottish person versus like an Irish person. Like we're talking about people who um, have been, what's the word I'm looking for? Disenfranchised? Yeah, disenfranchised that like need that representation. Like that representation is missing. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly, that's part of it. It's just like, and um, there's a Priscilla... I'm forgetting her last name. I feel bad. Um, oh, Instagram? Yeah, that I yeah. follow on Instagram. She is a Franco-Colombian writer. She's in like the film industry. And her talks with different people have really influenced me a lot. But we have such a obsession in the United States of all these different backgrounds that aren't necessarily our lived experience, but we mm-hmm. cling on to them, I think, because the states are seen as a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And so people will ask, oh, where are you from? And we start listing like our entire Ancestry.com. Right. You know, even if that's like not our lived experience. And so, you and, know. And from- in some ways there is a desire to have a culture because I feel like a lot of people in the uh, in the country don't feel like they have a culture you know of course so for me if you looked at my ancestry.com it would say that I'm half Native American Mm -hmm. because that's what my DNA from my dad's side traces back like if you look at his ancestry.com it's like almost 100% but I'm not gonna go and claim that I'm indigenous like that is so wildly it's honestly, it's violent, especially when pe- indigenous people in South America and North America are being murdered. They're being, they're losing their livelihoods and their home and everything that it's just, yeah. it's not appropriate for me to say that. That's my, you know, claim that as part so of my identity. Through all of this, you have certainly figured out what you are not. And like, how has that journey been with figuring out like who you are 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I'm, I think that's part of what I still resonate with, with the piece that I read is that I've always had to deal with people telling me you're this or Mm -hmm. you're not this, especially because I also identify as bisexual, but I've had a long history of dating cis straight men. And so I've gone a lot of like, you're not actually this, like you're this. And then I just have to be like, this is who I am. You know, I, it doesn't matter what you say. Mm -hmm. There are facts, you know, at this point in my life. you are also able to change that for yourself. Like if you don't identify, like resonate with that. Yeah, true. Yeah, truly. It's, it's all fluid, but, and same with identity. Um, I mean, it's, I have a background, but what I identify as this point is, you know, I'm white. I'm also half Latina, but I'm white, you know, because that's how the world perceives me, you know? Mm -hmm. So as much as I've talked about how it's been a frustrating experience, what my experience has never been has been oppressive or discrimination or prejudice like none of that has been my lived experience Mm -hmm. and so that's such a a privilege I benefit from a variety of privileges and so that's also important to talk about in this conversation Mm -hmm. but yeah I've just learned that people are complex I have a complex identity like you do like (laughs) Everyone Which is why does. I was so excited <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and like you just have to. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up how people perceive you because one of the questions I literally wrote down was how much time have you spent concerned about how other people perceive you? A lot of time, I'm sure. Not so much anymore, but definitely, definitely in the past, I have been way too concerned. Have you been concerned at all with like um, breaking into acting? by subscribing to any of those stereotypes that you mentioned before? Yes. And I think before the pandemic, like, I would have probably subscribed like, to some of those. Like you're but, rolling up to an audition with like the red lipstick and the the hoops. Yeah. I mean, I've never particularly, or maybe I have actually. <laughs> <laughs> um I think before We're the pandemic, things every day. Exactly. I yeah. think before the pandemic, I definitely probably would have subscribed to those things more. I probably would have gone out for roles that weren't necessarily my lived experience. But post pandemic, we're not post pandemic yet. Sorry. Now I have an understanding that, at least for now, I want to conduct myself in a certain way, and that means that I want to either go out for roles or create roles for myself that aren't going to infringe upon any boundaries per se. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I feel at that. Like at this point, you know, I'm not going to go could... out for someone who's fully Mexican and like speaks like fluent Spanish. Not yeah. that they'd even like cast me in that, but you know, I'm cause people will want to cast you in those roles. You know, yeah. someone could look at me and be like, you're going out for this, like, you know, Persian character. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, 
No, I'm not. So it's just about saying no and going back to what I said before, which is that, which I think takes a certain amount of like confidence that like what is meant to happen will happen anyway, because you're not looking at this as like the end all be all role that's going to sell you, um, a you know, a freaking Oscar. You're like, yeah, I'm confident that either I will make the work or the work will come to me because of the decisions I'm making. And I think that the more that we push ourselves and others to tell their stories the more inclusion we're gonna have you know the more that we knock out the old rules and the old dogs we're gonna have you know so okay so to talk a bit about your writing in terms of um relationships like I know a lot of your more recent writing or not even recent because a lot of the shows if you've you wrote dated me you probably have a play written about you <laughs> god yes you um, do actually. yeah so yeah. like a lot of your plays have been about relationships and I was just wondering if you thought that your writing has served as sort of like a mechanism for like growth and reflection like from my perspective it feels like you write a lot you write your way through your experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I'm totally cool with that. I'm, I'm fine. Huh. If, I, okay. If I was a one hit wonder, like I would be totally fine. With I that. kind of, I can and I, in terms of the relationships, I kind of joke with, um, Cameron that she is a serial monogamist, which for those of you who don't know, just means that she, um, is in, I, I, I don't know if I would call it serious, but like exclusive relationships back to back to back to back to back since I've known her. Um, so I kind of want to know too, with that said, how has your idea of a relationship changed since you were young? And like, has the, how so much, much, like how much has that like changed because of you reflecting in your writing or just like from experiencing it firsthand? But I mean, you were how old when you started dating? <laughs> I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to shame I, you. I know. I'm, I'm I wa- crazy. I literally, like, I started dating, like, not seriously, but just, like, you know, like, he's my boyfriend of the week or blah, 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 because um, I didn't come out as, like, queer until later in life, but um, it, probably when I was, like, 11. And then I probably had, I had my first like very serious relationship when I was 14, which sounds crazy. And I know that that sounds absurd, but like, it felt like a full blown, like I thought that I was going to marry this person. And to date, it's definitely my like worst heartbreak. And that happened because I was 14. I was a legitimate child. And he child. lived in Germany. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm like I trying also, to pretend like I don't know things about you. Yeah, but... I also have a habit of um, dating people, even though I know that they're going to leave or I'm going to leave because that's just who I am. Um, I think that I am a person where I would 10 out of 10 times, I'd rather loved and have lost than never loved at all. And so I literally was going to ask if you yeah, think you're a hopeless romantic. And you're like, I'm not. I- Yes, what? Yes, you are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I don't um, mean to answer for you. But. <laughs> um, yeah, I also just write you myself just... <laughs> through my experiences. And then I like write my, I'm like, why am I becoming, why is my life becoming my plays? Like this is, like I write my life, like inspired, my, I write my plays inspired by my life. And then I watch my life unfold 
like my it's, place. It's like you manifested it somehow. It's, it's like it's crazy. inception. I'm, I'm crazy. Um, but yeah, they've changed so much. Like I've been in such a variety of relationships, um, lengths, people, toxic, <laughs> non-toxic, non-toxic. Um, but it's totally shifted. But there is one thing that I learned pretty on in life from that initial heartbreak from my German ex was that romantic partners will come and go, but my friends will always be there. And that stayed true. I'm so thankful for the friendships that I have in Mm -hmm. my life. And I think my biggest pivot in my views towards relationships probably happened when I was talking with my friend Jenna from Chicago um shout out Jenna I love you I miss you uh was this like in Chicago yeah in Chicago uh she was the stage manager on the play that I was in and she introduced me to the concept of relationship anarchy which is essentially hang on are you saying that like I haven't influenced your pivot in understanding relationships at all you've I'm just kidding influenced (laughs) Fiona's influenced it so much because Fiona just has like the healthiest attitude towards relationships and I she's constantly just like I just hijacked your your epiphany I just wanted to (laughs) you know be annoying very healthy relationships Um, screw her so relationship anarchy relationship anarchy which is essentially in short the idea that you treat your friends more like lovers and your lovers more like friends it's termed the phrase why is it anarchy then that sounds like because thing well because society has us believe that your one goal in life is to find your one love of your life your soulmate Mm -hmm. and that will be the most fruitful thing in your life and like everything which is a toxic and i think that we're starting to shift more away from it but you know also the idea of like once you find that person they become your primary person Mm -hmm. and like your friends sort of like shift off to the side i think um but, I mean, it's a it's a much deeper. It's come it comes from the term itself. Andy Nordgren, who's a Swedish queer feminist, mm. and it's so, just this idea of like that I also subscribe to because I've got these very intimate friendships in my life, and they are so valuable to me. And it's like, so how do you treat your friends more like? lovers <laughs> I mean you know me Fiona like that's if we have a problem I want to address it cuddle I'm, yeah I want to <laughs> I want to have communication I want to have trust I mm-hmm. I think that we often look past those things in friendships it's like we always talk about you need trust and communication and this and with your partner but we don't talk about that with friendships but it's yeah. super important and because we have this idea that the perfect romantic relationship is like a bountiful sex life, a lifelong friendship, and this undeniable connection. Mm-hmm. And what that does is, well, one, it leaves out people who are asexual, people who are aromantic. And I think we just have There's more just freer, more... fuller relationships when we realize that, you know, each individual relation a a healthy relationship is whatever the people involved as long as it's meeting their need yeah yeah like my idea of a perfect relationship 
is probably not what yours is. Right. And that's fine. As long as it's fine. Cause we're not going to date. So damn it. <laughs> Just <kidding>. Um, <laughs> but so, okay. This is, this might seem random, but I don't know why it's like coming up for me. Do you believe in fate or free will? Oh my God. Wait, I'm so glad you asked that. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I don't know. Okay. No, in high school, I read the book Free Will by Sam Harris. And it's it's essentially the idea that free will doesn't necessarily exist. Sorry, Sam Harris, if I'm screwing this up. But it's just saying that we all have so many different factors that go into like making our decisions that we aren't actually con- like in control of whether that be genetic or circumstantial circumstantial and so we don't actually have as much power as like we think that we do interesting so you you think it's all fate well kind of <laughs> which sounds okay, can I which sounds silly but no my actually my favorite explanation have you seen the adjustment bureau the movie no okay it's well like, maybe a while ago god is it is it matt damon yeah i think it's matt, matt damon. damon and like who's her name um devil wears prada oh my gosh emily, emily blunt. blunt okay yes so in the movie they it's it's fate based like it's all like fate there's this whole shocker bureau called the adjustment bureau Mm -hmm. and it's like these men in black hats that go and like keep people on their course like whatever their kind of course is in their big fancy books these guys go in they can like freeze time even and they put people back on track and no one knows that they exist Mm -hmm. it's a very secret bureau of course um but emily blunt and matt damon's characters are consistently like trying to find each other again and like kind of breaking this down and like fighting against the bureau not even like knowingly and um to a point where it actually works in their favor um and so i kind of like that concept of it's like marrying the two ideas because yes the fate is laid out but like they really gave it their all and were able to determine it for themselves. Dang, I don't remember that movie being that good. We should watch it tonight. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, like, I don't know if I was reading into it too much, but like that, I don't know. No, you definitely were not. That's so true. You're right. It is marrying the concepts. It's yeah. not one or the other. One of the healthiest things. Like it- if I really, 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 really want like a cup of coffee in 20 minutes, but my fate, tell- I mean, that's a very simple <laughs> example but like okay know. well how would you relate that one of the healthiest concepts that fiona has introduced me to is just the idea of i don't know how you'd say it well what? first you brought it up in relation to your dad and his ex-wife and then meeting your mom you mm-hmm. know this idea of he he didn't know when he Oh, yeah. was in his first marriage that he would end up with your mom and end right. up with you. He was just living his life. Yeah. And then you also brought up your sister who sure. found her husband after being apart for five years. Yeah. And it's that idea of how much uh, do yeah. you try and like push well, a scenario yeah, and how much is that It's funny because fate? I've actually thought about this too in terms of 
the podcast and in terms of my own job search because I've you know recognized the fact that I have people on like my guest list that I want to bring on the podcast that have no idea that I want Mm -hmm. to do that and so if I have something in store for someone else I have to imagine that there's something in store for me that I don't know about yet oh crap wait that's so true isn't that weird oh that is weird like half the people on that list have no idea that they're on my list so I have to imagine I'm on someone's list somewhere that's so true right but it's like solipsism which teaches us that or not teaches us it's just this idea that we only have our own perspective of life and part of growing up is growing out of that you know yeah trying to I mean you can only have your own perspective how you know you you live in your own kind of mind's eye yeah but it's like you told me recently you know I can't I have to be comfortable not knowing all the things and just sort of how could you possibly know all the things I want to know all the things Fiona I want to have complete control of my life but the reality is that you don't have complete control of your life what's that um the narrator that is all-knowing Morgan Freeman (laughs) (laughs) I meant the literary term (laughs) oh (laughs) um (laughs) yeah no I just mean like you're not that you can't possibly know all the things that's fine. Who are you talking about? I'm I don't literally know, like only the, had Morgan no, Freeman. Not a person, in my head. like the literary term for like third person. No, oh god, is it like omniscient narrator? Let me look it up. <laughs> omniscient. Okay, yeah, right. omniscient narrator is a narrator who knows what is happening at all points of the story at all times. The narrator knows the thoughts and feelings of all the characters in the story. Oh shit. You're not, none of us are that. You can't no, possibly be that. We're not so, that. Even in our little main character syndrome, you're not an omniscient narrator, <laughs> you know? That's true. But yeah, you just have to, it's marrying the two. You have to, yeah. I have to live my life still making active informed choices. choices. Yeah, active informed choices mm-hmm. that will lead me to something. Cause I don't even know what's going to lead me to who knows what, like who knows what it's going to lead us to, but, um, but you're not not fully in control of our lives. You're not concerned with like the result. You're living your days the way you want to live your life. It's, it's, you're doing it because it, it, you like it. It serves you and it's important to you. And then if it leads to something else, then that's just like the cherry on top sort of thing. Exactly. And that's the beauty of life. Wow, we just summed it up. Yeah, <laughs> we really. No we one really... else needs to read a single book. Don't need to see another movie. You nope. have the secret right here. Nope, I I have the secret. After all that talk about losing the ego, I'm like, I have the secret. I am, I am the main character. No, I really appreciate Fiona bringing me on here today because I usually just talk to myself, and so it's nice to have this inner monologue with someone else so that I I'm not just like. <laughs> looking like a crazy person on the streets of New York. No, I'm so I'm so glad that we got to do this. And um, do you have anything to plug? You want to plug right now? Social media? Um, you can find me <laughs> on my Instagram handle at Cameron Villavicencio. Why are you laughing? Because it's like, it's... it's I can like tell people Cameron Villavicencio, but like, who's going to know how to spell that? Oh. You'll you'll see it I'll, in, yeah, I'll in the it info. Down. I thought you were going to say like, I know an old email or AIM that you were embarrassed of or something. Fancy pants. Zero nine. Was that actually? 
It was one of mine. Um, yeah, no. Uh, well, no. I don't know if it will be live by the time that this episode is out, but Fiona, being the multidisciplinary talent that she is, is helping create my website. And so far, it's beautiful. And then you'll be able to go and check out my writing, this podcast episode, a little video about myself. And yeah, I'm super excited. So thank you, Yay, Fiona, of course. for that as well. All right. This has been Fiona Winch with Cameron Villavicencio on Thoughtful Intentions. Please check out the Thoughtful Intentions podcast Instagram account for more and keep an eye out for future episodes as always. Thanks.